bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to take a, a brief look. That's Pastor Dave brief. So that doesn't mean five minutes, okay? Brief look at Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, we do have Bibles. If you want to raise your hand, we'll be happy to get you one. Uh, somebody with a Toyota Prius 5K VN968, you left your lights on? I want to go do that so you're not... Well, we'll jump your car if you, if you want to stay in here. It's all right. All right. Well, I'm really glad to see you here. God bless you guys. Uh, you know, it is so easy for us to celebrate a holiday so many times that we get to the point where it just becomes common. And my prayer is that we would never allow Almighty God coming to earth to grow common. Amen? So I titled the message this, morning, this evening, Don't Miss Christmas. You know, what have you done with Jesus Christ? In this time of giving and receiving amidst all the hustle and bustle, it can be very easy to forget what Christmas is really about. Let's face it, the world we live in today is trying to take Christ out of Christmas. Santa and Rudolph and even the Grinch and very little thought of Christ. Merry Christmas has become Happy Holidays or, as someone said to me, Happy Christmas Kwanzaa Hanukkah. But as I said this morning, we respond to those people in love, amen, and point them to the fact that Jesus is indeed the reason for this season. So tonight we're going to look at the story most of us have heard many times. It's going to take 20 minutes or so. And I want us to look at a couple of major points of the Christmas story. One, how God is completely and totally in control, how He even uses the ungodly to bring about His perfect will. We're also going to see that the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, again, God being in control. And then the conflicting reactions to Jesus' birth, very much like the world today, has a conflicting reaction to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The innkeepers were out to make a buck. The visitors to Bethlehem were focused on the census. But then there were those shepherds up on a hill that were looking up, and God reached down and, and revealed Himself to them. And every one of us today, we're either the innkeepers or we're the busy visitors in Bethlehem, we can be like those humble shepherds who received the word, who responded in obedience, who reached out to others, and then rejoiced in the fact that Jesus had come. So it's so easy to read. We're going to go through the story you've all read before. And again, we can read it and just go through it quickly. But I want us to remember again that though it's been reenacted, re no doubt, millions of times over human history, May we never grow tired of it. May it never grow common. It's not an Aesop's fable. This is not a story that man made up. Jesus Christ did indeed come to earth. In a few days, it's going to be 2008. 2008 years since what? A.D. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. 2008 years since Jesus Christ. A man who never traveled more than 100 miles from his place of birth. A man who never held political office. A man who was uh, persecuted and prosecuted. But yet here we are 2,000 years later and there's never been a man who's lived who's had a greater impact on humankind than Jesus Christ. And as we look at his birth, maybe you're here, maybe you're invited by a family member and it's not something you've thought about. But I'm going to ask you the question, what have you done with God's son? You need to make a decision about him. He's already made one about you. He loves you so much. He came to earth and suffered and died in your place. You might have eternal life. So if you have your Bibles, look to Luke chapter 2. 
And we're going to see again that he's more than just a baby in a manger, but he's our Lord, our Savior, our God, and he desires to be our friend. So it says there in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, And it came to pass in those days that a, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus was the grand nephew and adopted son and primary heir of Julius Caesar. Again, these are not made up people. These are historical figures. And the Roman government was constantly in power struggles and this was during a time when, uh, you know, August, the Augustus was, the, the word Augustus means exalted one. And so he was almost considered like deity. And we see that as people viewed him as a god, there came a time where every, uh, every couple times, uh, every so often, about once, uh, about every 14 years or so, they would have a census. And it was up to the Caesar to determine when that was going to be. And Caesar Augustus thought that it was in his mind that, to have, a, have this census take place at that exact day, at that exact time, at that exact season. But we all know it was for them, for the foundation of the world by Almighty God that it would take place then. Because God had always planned that his son would be born in Bethlehem. We'll talk about that. But for him to be born in Bethlehem, the census would have to take place to bring all the people back together to the cities where they were, their families came from. It says that all the world should be registered. Again, for both military and tax purposes, they would number each nation by family and tribe. And again, it was all indeed a part of God's sovereign plan. Verse 2. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. You know, if you go back and look historically, it's interesting that he reigned right around the time, around 4 B.C. So again, this shows us the accuracy and the timing of this census. And it says in verse 3, So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Again, Augustus Caesar was ruling, but Almighty God was in charge. For he had used Caesar's edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now let me tell you something. A lot of times we look at the pretty pictures of Christmas. We look at the Christmas cards. But we need to understand, a nine-month pregnant woman traveling 80 miles on a donkey. There is no way in the world that would happen unless it was a law. Unless it was handed down by Caesar. And so the word came down, and Joseph, as we know, if you look at the earlier chapter, you know, the angel comes to Mary, tells her that she's going to have a child. God worked on Joseph's heart as well to receive this and, and believe the miracle that was about to take place. And now he's moving them 80 miles, again, riding on the back of a donkey, the woman who would give birth to our Savior. I want to make sure I say something. Mary was a woman that was called of God and used mightily by God, but she was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like every one of us. Amen? Mary is not to be worshipped or praised or venerated, only Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So it's very important that we keep that in mind. Verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, this was all a part of God's plan. There are over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. People will say, well, how do we know Jesus is the one? Well, first of all, he rose from the dead. That ought to take care of it. Amen? Anybody else raised from the dead, then come talk to me, all right? 
but he rose from the dead. But prior to that, only God could foreordain where he was born. Amen? You know, you didn't choose where you were going to born. You, you, where you were going to be born. You didn't choose who your parents were going to be. But amazingly, of the over 200 prophecies fulfilled by Christ, many of them were at his birth. It says in Genesis that the Savior would be a man and not an angel, a Jew and not a Gentile, from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, born of a virgin, and born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and all of which occurred just as the scriptures said. So Caesar Augustus, an ungodly man, played a part in bringing about God's will. Next time you're in the midst of a trial and you don't understand what's going on, remember that God knows. Amen? And that He's in control. And that He's faithful. And just as He's bringing our Savior to the place where He was foreordained to be born through even an unbelieving man, even in our lives as well, He's in control. It says, verse 4, both Joseph and Mary, as we know, were descendants of David, so they went from their home in Judea to be registered. They went home to Judea to be registered at this 80-mile difficult trek through mountainous terrain, a, a particularly uh, grueling journey, and even more so for one who was on the verge of having a baby. Again, through life's greatest blessings often come through life's greatest trials. It's in those times of greatest difficulty that we get to see God work. Can you imagine when Joseph came home and said, oh, they're going to have the census. We've got to go to Bethlehem. Are you out of your mind? I'm nine months pregnant. Now, I don't mean to pick up my wife, but I remember driving when my wife was nine months pregnant. You got to stop at like every gas station to use the restroom, right? And you know, can you imagine nine months pregnant on a donkey? And if you've been to, to Israel with us, you've seen that terrain from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It wasn't an easy trek. But again, it was all part of God's plan. One other note, he was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? And what's interesting is that it's also the birthplace of Benjamin. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. And she first called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. And his father changed his name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And isn't it interesting that the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with our sorrows and our grief, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Nothing happens by chance in the Bible. He was, it was always foreordained that he would indeed be born in Bethlehem. It says his betrothed wife. So Mary and Joseph were living as husband and wife. They had not consummated their marriage yet until after Jesus was born because he had to be born of a virgin. So technically they were still betrothed. And then it says in verse 6, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Notice it says firstborn son. Mary had other children. Again, this flies in the face of doctrine that says she was perpetually a virgin and she never had any other. That's absolutely not true. The Bible's very clear here. Mary, again, was a sinner in need of a savior. But notice she brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes were strips of cloth. They used to bind the baby tightly to give their limbs strength and protection and to keep them warm. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, interesting that he was then placed in a manger. Now, this is where we get the thought that he was born in a stable. Well, the truth is, it's more than likely that he was born in a cave. 
Because most of the time, that's where animals were cared for, was in a cave. It doesn't matter if it was a cave or a stable, does it? It matters that Jesus was born. But think about this. Wrapped in swaddling clothes in a cave. And as we're going to see, when the shepherds came, they found the Savior in a cave wrapped in white linen tightly. What a picture of the resurrection, amen? At his birth, when they found him, we see a picture of why he had come, which is to be resurrected from the dead, because 33 years later, he would be put into a tomb, wrapped in very similar swaddling clothes in that sense, and again, he would raise from the dead. A manger is a feeding trough for animals, and again, that's why many believe in the stable theory, but we have no proof of that. And again, ancient tradition says he indeed was probably born in a cave. So, wrapped in the swaddling clothes, it reminds us of why Jesus came. From the moment he was born, he was headed to the cross. Guys, many people do not have a problem with baby Jesus, but they have a real problem with him growing up and becoming who he became. Guys, you got to go beyond just believing in a baby in a manger. You must trust in a Savior upon a cross. Amen? Because that's why he came. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be sitting in this room tonight. It says, there was no room for them in the end. Is there a more tragic, one, one of the most tragic statements in all of Scripture? Almighty God comes to their door. Sorry, got no room. Got no time, got no room. You know, you got to understand something, that for the innkeepers, this was the busiest time, you know, ever. Because it only happened about every 14 years. I imagine being like, you know, hosting the Super Bowl. You know, every hotel room is taken. They're being sold at five times the normal price. And somebody knocks at the door, a poor family looking for a place to stay. And they're so busy cashing in, they've got no time for the Messiah. What a picture of so much of the world today, pursuing the things that are passing away and missing out as Almighty God is knocking on the door of their hearts. He desires to come into our lives and have in, intimate fellowship. So tragic. They were so busy pursuing the things of this world that they missed out on Almighty God. I wonder if those who turned Him away in a past into eternity wish they could do it over again. What do you think? They're not spending time in eternity saying, you know, I'm really glad that I, I, I sold that last room at five times the normal rate. I really cashed in. Oh, should have let Jesus in, amen? And again, how about you and I? Are we so busy pursuing worldly riches and pleasures and comforts that we've missed out on the Son of God as He knocks on the doors of our heart? For every one of you here, have you answered that knock? The Bible, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. He created you to have a relationship with you. You are His treasured possession. You know, at Christmas... He doesn't want gifts. What he wants is you. He loves you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. What have you done with God's son? It's too late for the innkeepers in Bethlehem to respond, but it's not too late for you and me. Guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And while the busy and prosperous innkeepers and weary travelers miss the Messiah, we're going to see a completely different reaction from the angelic host, the angels, and from some humble shepherds. How amazed the angels must have been when they saw the Creator born as a creature and the Word coming, you know, of, as a, a speechless baby. You know, that, you got to understand something. The angels saw Almighty God in heaven. They saw Jesus in heaven. They were around His throne worshiping Him. 
And to see him taking on humanity and coming to earth and coming as a baby being born in a cave or a stable to humble parents must have blown the angels away. I almost imagine them saying, this is Pastor Day's opinion, boy, he must really love them. And you know what? He indeed really does love us. It said in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Now look at verses 8 through 14. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. So shepherds, you understand something, these guys, this is about as low a job as you could get. And if you had the night shift, if you're working graveyard as a shepherd, you, you got the worst job. And if you're working graveyard as a shepherd during the census time, when everybody's in town having the biggest party of all, you must really be on the bottom of the barrel. And that's what these guys were. Shepherds out watching sheep, working graveyard. The work was remedial in the world's eyes. And it made them, it even made them ceremonially unclean by watching these animals. They couldn't even go in and worship. Verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Why did the angel of the Lord and the glory of the Lord appeared to anonymous shepherds. Why not priests? Why not scribes? Why not Caesar? The reason is because God does not come to the rich and the mighty, but He calls the humble and lowly. God's not impressed with our wealth. God's not impressed with our intellect. God desires that we come to Him in humility. Back in Luke 1, in the Song of Mary, it says, He has scattered the proud with the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. Why did He come to shepherds? Because Jesus came both to be the good shepherd and the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. It's not by chance. The Bible describes Him as the good shepherd. He is our shepherd. Amen? And he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's not by chance that the angels appear to shepherds watching over lambs. The Bible rocks, amen? And God's word is indeed perfect. It's also possible they may have been caring for the very flocks that would be sacrificed in the temple. I believe that's probably true. They're watching over animals who would be sacrificed and appearing unto them is the announcement of the Lamb of God who was indeed the ultimate sacrifice. It is fitting that the good news about the good shepherd and the Lamb of God was given first to these humble shepherds. So how have you approached God's Son? In prideful arrogance, with questions and demands, too busy to even take note of Him like the innkeepers? Or in humility, awe, wonder, and brokenness? It says they were greatly afraid. You know what, if some angels showed up at your house, you'd be afraid. Amen? Well, not me. I'm afraid. I'm not afraid. Almighty God shows up, afraid. Amen? <laughs> On the ground. These shepherds, and you understand something, shepherds, though the job was low, they tended to be brave. Because they often would fight off wild animals to protect sheep. And if they're afraid, there's something to be afraid of. And indeed, they were humble, but they were brave. And yet, at this moment, they were afraid. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. The very same words. 
spoken to both Zacharias and Mary when the angel appeared to them. Fear is a natural response when confronted with a divine visitation or a mighty work of God. Guys, you know what? Here's the good news. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And one day when we stand before Almighty God, we will enter in with great joy. But if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. Because you're going to stand trying to enter in based on your own good works. And he says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Good tidings of great joy. The word means to preach the good news. Who is the good news for? All people. It says this is good news for all people. Everyone. This is the best news ever. You know what? Amazingly, you know, if this happened today, this should be the number one story on every channel. Amen? That Almighty God came to earth. But sadly, we'd probably be more, they'd probably be more worried about how many people are at the mall at 1 o'clock in the morning trying to get their last gifts. And I'm going shopping right after this, so there it is. <laughs> I've bought zero gifts so far. Zero. <laughs> Try to be all, well, I was just thinking about the Lord. No, I'm just lazy. That's the problem. <laughs> so who is the good news for? All people. But look what it says. So we know who the good news is for, all people, everybody, not just the Jews, everybody. But what was the good news? Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news was not that God sent a soldier or a judge or a reformer, but he sent a Savior. Why? Because we don't need a judge. We don't need a soldier. We need a Savior. Amen? Too often we think the answer for man's problems is we need to elect the right person. And we should vote. But electing the right person is not the answer. We think we need you know, the right amount of military might. We think we need the right amount of money in our bank account. He didn't send a banker. He sent a savior. Amen? Because that's what we need. We're all sinners in desperate need of salvation. He sent a savior to meet the greatest need that man had. And the message he would bring would be a message of peace. Peace is not the absence of war, but is right standing before Almighty God. And Jesus is more than a baby in a manger, but he is the Savior of the world, as these angels are announcing to these sheep, or to these uh, shepherds and the sheep. So, how can we know peace? He's the Prince of Peace. That's how we know peace through him. Jesus Christ, Messiah, anointed with Lord, the covenant name of God, their titles for deity. How do we know peace no matter what our circumstances are? Only through a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Everybody here, you got a God-shaped vacuum you've tried to fill with everything else. You tried to fill it with money, career, relationships, alcohol, whatever else. And you know what? It's still empty. Because nothing else can satisfy the longing in the heart of every man and woman to have a relationship with the one who created us in his image. Amen? And he so desires that you have that intimate fellowship with him even now. Your life will remain empty until it is filled with him. Peace can only come again from the Prince of Peace. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you, speaking to the, the angels or talking to the shepherds. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
No doubt the question must have been, there's a Savior born. Well, what will he look like? How will we find him? You know, the city is filled with people. No doubt they probably thought that the Messiah would be a full-grown man, but no, he's a baby lying in a manger. Now notice that the shepherds didn't ask a bunch of questions. Why a baby? That doesn't make any sense. How's a baby going to help us? And yet, you know, that's how sometimes people come to God. We got a lot of questions, like we're going to straighten God out on a few things. Guys, we come humble and broken before him, amen? We don't come questioning, we come crying out. Down there in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the city overflowing with a multitude of people, and he gives them the description of what to look for. A baby lying in a manger. Go and find him. You know what? Just as he was calling these shepherds unto himself, so too he's calling each one of us tonight. He's calling us unto himself. He came from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless, holy life as an example, went to the cross in our place, and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. He died the most cruel, cruel and brutal death in all of human history, and he did it out of love for us. Again, as I said, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He didn't only say he loved you, he proved it. He didn't only claim to be God, he proved it by raising from the dead. What have you done with God's son? Are you too busy for him like the innkeepers? Are you unwilling to give up the throne like King Herod, who later would have all the babies under the age of two put to death when he heard that the king of the Jews had been born? Or have you responded with obedient faith like these humble and lowly shepherds will in the coming verses? I pray that none of us is too busy to miss out on what Christmas is all about, or too self-centered or prideful to give up the throne of our own lives, but that we would come humble and broken before Him. In a manger. He began in a manger. He went to a cross. It ended in a tomb. And again, it's interesting that the angels announced His birth, and when He rose from the dead and they came to find the tomb was empty, the angels announced His resurrection. Amen? All of it. We can't just have the baby in a manger. We need to see the Savior risen from the dead. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. A multitude of heavenly hosts. How many angels is that? I don't know. You know, it's interesting the multitude in Revelation 5 is described as 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot of angels. What, a, what a, an incredible choir that must have been. Amen? And they showed up having seen Jesus in heaven and announcing his birth, and they begin to sing a, this. And what I love about this is they're praising God, and they're doing it to some lowly shepherds. Everybody else is missing out on the greatest concert ever to this point. They're so busy running around trying to find a place to stay, trying to make an extra buck, and they're missing out on the greatest thing that it ever happened in human history. And they sing, what do they sing? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son. The Bible says in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father, full of grace, grace and truth. This lowly manger had become the holy of holies because Jesus Christ was there. Guys, what's amazing is you and I can become the temple of the Holy Spirit if we will but give our lives to Him. And the message was peace 
and goodwill toward men. This is not a universal declaration of peace toward all men, but a better rendering of peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. The peace was toward those who would turn to Him, those who would give their lives to Jesus Christ. Last few, five verses here, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. This indicates that shepherds were some distance away as it says, Go to Bethlehem. Let us go to Bethlehem. But in faithful response to the message that had been delivered to them, they dropped everything to go and find Jesus. Guys, there's got to come a time we put aside everything else to come unto Jesus. To not make him one of the things in my life, one of the passions of my life. He's got this little portion on Sunday morning and, and once in a while at Christmas and Easter. No, he needs to be our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our King 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Amen? Amen. And then we give our lives completely unto him. And they dropped everything to go and find him. Notice the contrast, though, between the shepherds. Zacharias initially responded when the angels came to him with doubt and faithlessness and unbelief because he looked at his own human frailties instead of the omnipotence of God. Zacharias would be the father of John the Baptist. He didn't believe it. The innkeepers, the Messiah, came to their door, but they were too busy and too focused on worldly pursuits and material gain that they missed out on Christmas. But here we see how these lowly shepherds responded. Notice he comes to those who would respond with faith. And he came to them, and it says, They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. They came with haste. This is the first ever Christmas rush, right? They ran in to find Jesus. They came with haste. But unlike the materially focused Christmas rushes of today, they came with haste seeking Jesus. There should be a sense of urgency and a desperation in our pursuit of God. Because, guys, none of us has the promise of tomorrow. Amen? Nobody. Very few people know when they're going to die. None of us know. But today is the day of salvation. And it's today that we should give our lives to Him. And it says they found Him. And they found the baby lying in a manger. The word found means to find by search. So they were seeking him out. They were running from place to place trying to find out where in the world he could be. And they found him. Others turned him away. Others passed him by. And then they sought him out and they found him. Verse 17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. Notice what happens. They see Jesus and they become witnesses immediately. When, is, when should you start sharing your faith? Five seconds after you get saved. Amen? They see Jesus, and the first thing they do is run and tell everybody. Many years ago, my good friend Matt Valencia was telling me, he's a pastor at Calvary Gilroy, he was telling me about how he'd gone to summer camp, and he wasn't saved when he got there. He'd gone with a real good friend of his, and he was, his friend had decided to sleep, sleep in in the bunk, and they gave a message that morning, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He's about 15 years old. And as he got saved, the first thing he thought of after giving his life to the Lord, for, you know, thanking God for his grace, is he ran back, woke up his friend, shared the gospel with him, and led him to the Lord. He'd been saved 30 minutes, and he led someone else to Christ. And the sad part is, some people have been saved 30 years, and they've yet to share Christ with one person. We are to be witnesses, amen? Not just go witnessing for an hour a week, we are witnesses wherever we go. 
Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And you know what's interesting? I have an idea, and I think from the text it's very clear, that they were not received very well when they told the story. We don't see a whole lot of people running to worship the Lord, do we? And same may be true when you share your faith. As you share, it doesn't mean everybody's going to receive it. So they made wildly known what was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. So they marveled, but sadly, while they marveled, we don't see a transformation in their lives. These shepherds are good examples for us to imitate today. They received the message by faith. They responded with obedience. Then they reported the good news to others. These social outcasts in Israel, these guys of humility, these guys with the lowest jobs, they weren't worried about the fact that they didn't make as much money as a person next to them, or they didn't have the wealth or the position. All they knew is they had met the Messiah, and that was the most important news there was, and they were going to shout it from the mountaintop if necessary. May we learn from their example. Verse 19, last two verses. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their heart. In her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. As the shepherds witnessed, Mary pondered all that had happened in her heart. And the shepherds took the place of the angels. They received the word. They responded in obedience. They reached out to others. And now they rejoice just as the angels did. No, angels who have not experience God's saving grace, do not have the privilege of witnessing to mankind. That's our job. That's our calling, amen? And they're rejoicing. Guys, as we close the last couple of songs here, our hearts ought to be from that same heart having, we have come to know Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come. The good news has been delivered unto us. And now we rejoice in the knowledge and the privilege of having a relationship with Him. And as we worship Him, we ought to sing from the same heart that those shepherds sang with 2,000 years ago. Rejoicing in the truth of our Savior, our God, and our King. Notice they took the message with them back to work. I like that. They went back to work, and they took the message with them. So, what have you done with God's Son? How have you acted to the message God has delivered to you? Are you like an innkeeper? Are you too busy in world... in your worldly pursuits, to recognize and invite Jesus in? Are you like the busy people who are there to you know, pay their taxes? Just, I'm about my business, I don't have time for any distractions. Or like the shepherds in humility, receiving the word delivered to them, responding in obedience, reaching out to others, and then rejoicing in His presence. Jesus came to earth out of love for you. You're His treasured possession. He willingly died for you. He's knocking. Will you let him in? Don't miss Christmas. Amen? Don't miss the real meaning behind the season. I want to close with a quote from Corey Tinboom. Most of you may probably know who she was. She was a woman who was uh, in German prison camps during World War II. And I love this quote. She said, If Jesus were born a thousand times in Bethlehem and not once in my heart, then I would still be lost. He was born in a manger. He needs to be born in your heart. He rose from the dead and you need to become a new creation in Christ. Amen? It's not enough to watch from afar. It's time for us to receive Jesus as Savior, God, and King. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. Father, I pray if anybody here tonight doesn't know you, 
that even now, Lord, you'd open their hearts, soften their hearts, Lord, to their need for you. Father, I, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that your kingdom would be added to tonight. Father, that nobody would leave here without confessing their sin and a need for a Savior. Lord, I pray we would not be like the innkeeper, so busy pursuing the things of this world that we miss out on you. Lord, may you be the passion of our lives. Father, I also pray, Father, for, for those of us who do know you. Lord, help us to make you the priority. Lord, I pray you would be the list. Not first on the list, but first, tenth, fiftieth, one hundredth, and every number in between. You would be the passion of our lives. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you for this Christmas season, that you are indeed the reason for the season. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, at the end of our time here, there are going to be pastors up front who will be happy to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, we want to take this time to pray with you. Right now what we're going to do, if you grab those candles that are on your seat, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. Amen? And so as we sing these last, this, uh, last couple of songs, uh, Pastor Bill is going to light the candles of the people in the front row. If you could turn around and light everybody else's. And again, just remember that he is the light of the world. And now we as his children are to be salt and light. Amen? May he be glorified. Amen. Oh